copy of God's Word, please, and turn to the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, and turn over to the third chapter. We're going to be thinking this uh, Christmas season about Christmas in the Old Testament. And you start with Christmas in the Old Testament with Genesis chapter 3. And so we're going to read the Christmas story from the, gospel, from the Garden of Eden today. So when you find Genesis 3, join, join me in standing, please, as we show our respect for the reading of God's Word. And I'll be using the King James this entire month. I love the King James, and uh, these passages are familiar, and I love the beauty of the King James language, so we'll be using the King James all this month. This is the word of the living God. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field, Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, and for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, 
because she was the mother of all living. And Adam, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, if you read the book of Genesis and you read it carefully, you'll see that this is indeed Christmas in Eden here in chapter 3. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, everything was good except for one thing. Uh, God said it was not good that the man should live alone. Now, God did not make a mistake in creation. Understand that. God did not say, well, I forgot to create woman. Now, had I been doing it, I probably would have forgot to create woman. But God is not a man that he could be forgetful. And so it was by his choice. He knew that Adam needed a helpmate. And Adam realized that after he named all the animals. And then he realized he had no helpmate like the animals did. And God created woman from man. And so in, in chapters 1 and 2, the only thing that's not good is it's not good for man to be alone. And God put them in the garden and gave them one and only one restriction. He said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... You shall not eat of it, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And so here we have what happened in the garden. And in the garden, we even have the teaching of the doctrine of the virgin birth. Because here in this passage, Christ is referred to as the seed of a woman. The rest of the Bible, the word seed of a woman does not appear. It only appears because God said the seed of a woman. He was prophesying the virgin birth in the garden right after the fall. I love what Adrian Rogers said. Now, there are preachers today preaching in churches, and some of them have Baptist on their marquee. And some preacher will get up in some of these Baptist churches, and he'll say something like this. Well, you know, in the old days, we believed in the virgin birth, but it doesn't make any difference if you believe in the virgin birth or not anymore. Now, I want you to know, if that's the kind of Baptist church you think you're in, you're going to be very sorely disappointed. Because in this Baptist church, we happen to believe that the virgin birth is essential. For without the virgin birth, you would not have a sinless Savior who could pay the sacrifice for sin. The virgin birth is important. In fact, I was in at the Southern Baptist Convention when one of my great heroes, Dr. Adrian Rogers, said this. He said, I wouldn't give half a hallelujah of your hope for heaven to someone who doesn't believe in the virgin birth. For you see, the Bible teaches the virgin birth. Here in chapter 3 of Genesis, the virgin birth is introduced. The seed of a woman. Not the seed of a woman and a man. The seed of woman. Because Jesus had no earthly father. He had an earthly mother, but no earthly father. And he had a heavenly father who he was just as old as, and he'd been with him forever in heaven before he came to earth in the incarnation. By the way, that's where the Trinity comes from. In, in Genesis, it said, let us make man in our image. And so the Trinity is taught all through the Bible, although the word Trinity never occurs in the Bible. The doctrine of the Trinity is taught all through the Bible. There are churches today which deny the existence of the Trinity. Well, th there's a word for that. It's a word called heresy. Uh, God is a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Not three gods. Three gods in one Godhead. Three persons in one Godhead. Not three separate gods. Three in one. We can't describe it. You say, oh yeah, I can, preacher. You take a pie and you cut it in three pieces. Well, let me tell you what. You cut your pie in three pieces and if I like it, you'll have two pieces left, all right? And if I really like it, you might have one piece left. 
And if it's a peanut butter and chocolate pie, like a Snickers pie, you won't get any of it. I'll just eat it all. But I want to tell you this, you can't divide God. You can't say, well, here's the Holy Spirit and over here's Jesus. Oh, the Father's in the Son and the, and the Son's in the Father and the Spirit's in the Father and the Spirit's in the Son. It's all three in one. You say, well, I can describe it, it's like water because you have water in this cup and if you freeze it, it becomes ice and then if you boil it, it becomes steam. No, that's water. There's a difference between water and ice. Water is not hard. Ice is hard. Uh, water you can drink. Don't try to drink steam or you'll hurt yourself. You see, there's no application we can make which is just like the Trinity. Why? Because God is farther away than our understanding can imagine in his holiness and in his character and in his being. It's a marvelous miracle that he cares so much about us. But he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. Notice the serpent. Notice, first of all, his subtlety. Now, the serpent was more subtle. Now, there's two definitions for subtle, or many definitions, but some of the definitions are positive, not a subtle, subtle glance or a subtle joke. Uh, th- those are okay. Uh, the word can mean fine or delicate, faint or mysterious, requiring mental acuteness or discernment. Those are all positive meaning of the word subtle. But now here's the negative meanings of the word subtle, and this is what applies to the devil. Cunning, wily, or crafty. And then insidious in operation, as poison. And those are the words that fit the devil. That's the kind of being that he is. You say, where did the devil come from? Well, he was an angel. He was the praise leader in heaven. And one day he decided he was tired of praising God. And he said, I want to be praised. I'm going to exalt myself. And God said, oh no, you're not going to exalt yourself. And there was rebellion in heaven. And the devil and a third of the angels were cast out. Some of them were locked in chains unto judgment unto this hour, Jesus said. But now the devil and his demons roam the face of the earth. And let me say this about the devil. He is wily and he is crafty, but he's not all-knowing. And he's powerful, but he's not all-powerful. God is more powerful than the devil. Some people say, well, why doesn't God kill the devil and make it be over with? Well, God wants to give us a choice as he gave Adam and Eve a choice in the garden. The subtlety of the serpent. And then notice the source. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. That describes him in the book of Revelation. It tells where he came from. And almost every word used for the devil in the Bible is found in that verse. Uh, the word Beelzebub there is not found there. But, uh, there and there, most of the terms that we use commonly, Satan, the devil, uh, are right there in that verse. Even the old serpent uh, is found there in that verse. So that was his source. He was cast out of heaven. But then notice his strategy. Jesus uh, told us his strategy. His strategy is to lie and to destroy. That's what Jesus said. He wants to destroy us, and he'll use the lie to do that. But notice what Paul wrote to the church, because after we're saved, don't think, I'm immune from the devil now. I'm saved. I've got the Holy Spirit in me. Uh, The devil's afraid of me. No, he's not. The devil's not afraid of you. Who are you for the devil to be afraid of? But I tell you this, the devil's afraid of the blood. The devil's afraid of God. The devil is afraid of a spirit-filled Christian. That's who the devil is afraid of. Not in your flesh. Don't brag, I I can take on the devil. He'll whip you every time. You say, how do you know that? Read the Bible. Here's a man named David who fought a, a giant named Goliath with a slingshot. And yet he couldn't overcome the temptation of lust. What a giant for God who went down because he succumbed to the devil. Notice Paul tells us his strategy. 
But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You need to be very, very careful as a Christian. The devil has two things he wants to do. First of all, if you're not saved, he doesn't want you to be saved. If you're here today and, and you hear the gospel, every time you, you come to this church, you're going to hear the gospel. You come tonight, you're going to hear it in music. We're going to give an invitation tonight because whenever we, the gospel is claimed, we need to give an invitation. We do block parties. We give an invitation. We send people on mission trips. They share the gospel. They give an invitation. We believe in that. So, and some people have the mistaken idea. Well, now that I'm saved, the devil can't get me. Oh, yes, he can. You see, his first job is to separate you from God eternally. And he does that through deceiving sinners. Well, let me remind you, not only can he deceive sinners, the Bible says right here, he can deceive the saints. And, and don't you think the devil can't? And you know what he uses more than anything else? The old word pride. That's exactly what he uses. We like to think we're more than we are. I want to tell you, I want, I, I'm convinced this more than ever each day. I am nothing but a sinner saved by grace. In my flesh, there's no good thing. My heart is desperately wicked, but I'm thankful I have a God who can fill me with his spirit and take this old fleshly heart and turn it into the heart of Jesus if I'll yield it to him. But it's a daily decision. Some of you may have walked in here this, and here's the bad thing about pride. Now I want to tell you, if I was an alcoholic, I'd know I was an alcoholic. If I was a thief and a robber, I would know I was a thief and a robber. But I can be a Christian filled with pride and not realize it. And that's the way, the, that's the way his subtlety, where you, you know, we need to be on guard. And, and the worst place in the world for pride to get on parade is the church. Whenever you hear of a church split, I can tell you who's behind it, the devil. And I can tell you who he used to do it, somebody who was full of pride. Sometimes it's the man behind the pulpit. It gets quiet in here when you preach. But I want to tell you this. I wrestle every day because I don't want to get up here and tell you what I want you to hear. I want to get up here and tell you, thus saith the Lord. And if you'll listen to his voice, then you'll be blessed and he'll take care of you and he'll comfort you and he'll supply your needs. But if I get up here and start giving you my opinion, it's not worth listening to. But pride can come into every life. Every one of us can be filled with pride and not know it. The devil is very subtle. By the way, at that time, most of the people, the Bible scholars, believed that the devil walked on two legs. In fact, I was reading an article the other day about a guy, and he was trying to describe how he thought the devil looked. Now, again, this is his thought. This is not the Bible, but he thought the devil probably looked like the Geico lizard. <clears throat> Since I read that, I can't watch Geico commercials anymore. I went, there's Satan! Get behind me, Satan! That poor little old lizard speaking in his British accent. But most Bible commentators believe that he walked on two. Now, whether he looked like the Geico lizard, I don't know. Don't let that ruin the Geico commercials for you, all right? But he walked on his legs into the garden that day. And then he deceived woman and man, and they fell. And then notice the sin. Very, very subtle is the devil. He says, first of all, Yea, hath God said. Now, young people, I want you to listen to me today. I want to tell you this. When you get out of high school and you go to college, 
They're going to be professors in college who are going to try to undermine your faith. This just, the more I've thought about it this week, I get really angry, but I want to make sure it's not pride. I want to make sure it's a godly anger. You know, if I, if I went to Governor Bentley and I said, Governor Bentley, I want to go to the University of Alabama, and I want to go into every class at the University of Alabama, and I want to preach the gospel. I want to tell those folks that they're sinners, and they're lost, and they're headed for hell, and they need to believe in Jesus, repent, and get saved. I want to go to every student at Alabama, and, I'm not, and, I, and then I want to go to Auburn, and I want to tell every Auburn student, you're a sinner. You're lost. You're dying in your sins. You're going to die and go to hell. What do you think Dr. Bentley would say to me? He'd say, I'm calling the mental hospital for you, Buster. You don't need to be in the, in the classroom preaching. You need to be in the mental hospital if you think I'm going to let you go to our state universities and preach. That's against the law. Well, let me tell you what's not against the law. For these philosophy professors who think they know more than God, who tell these college students that all this stuff is just made up. That we really don't believe it. In fact, some of them say today, preachers don't believe what they preach. I want to tell you, if somebody ever says that to you, young person, you, I want you to stand up in class and I want you to say, my pastor told me you'd say that. And he wants to come and talk to you in this classroom about whether or not preachers really believe what they preach. I want to tell you. I'm tired of our young people going to college and having their faith robbed by godless professors who get paid to teach them that philosophy with my tax dollars and your tax dollars. I want to tell you, that's not right. Where's that come from? Hmm, hath God say it? You say who the author of that is? It's the devil. And by the way, how can you know what God says unless you read it, folks? You don't know what God says unless you read what God. Don't trust what Brother Mike says to tell you what God says. Check me out on it, Brother Bob does. I know when I stand up here on Sunday, if I say something, that's why I say sometimes this is my glorified imagination. Brother Bob go, okay, I'm not going to check you on that. You, you confess that was your glorified imagination. He's going to check me out. You say, does that bother you? No, it doesn't bother me. You know why? Because Bob Cleveland believes God's word is the true and living word of God. I don't mind if you, you ever think I go off, you come to talk to me. I, I, have a, I have a committee of three people that I want to prove everything I say, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And as long as I say what they tell me, say, I don't worry about it. Well, if you're here today and you think, well, I don't really know if the Bible is God's word, you're falling for the first trick of the devil. That was the first thing out of his scaly mouth. Yea, hath God said, he denied God's word. But then there was a dispute over God's word. You see, when Eve tried to tell him what God had said, Eve added to the word of God. Now, again, Bob, I'm going to have to use my sanctified imagination because I don't know, I don't know if, but I think, here's what I think kind of happened. If Adam was like Brother Mike and Eve was like Mary, here's what happened. I know that if I tell her not to do something, she's probably going to do it. And so I have to reinforce what I teach her by adding something. And probably if, if Adam was like Brother Mike and Eve was like Mary, it came out like this. Now, Mary, I know that tree over there looks good. And I know that fruit is ripe and luscious but God said, don't eat it. And Mary, I want you to know, when God said, don't eat it, I don't even want you to touch it. And so she said, oh, I can't eat it and I can't touch it. When you tell a child not to do something, what are they going to do? Exactly what you tell them not to do. I've got a dog that thinks she's a child. 
I have spent hours trying to train that dog. I have a hole in my arm where that dog punctured my arm yesterday from jumping up on me, which she's been doing ever since I brought her to the house. You say, why does she do that? Because she's rebellious. And because I'm not trained. If I was trained, I could have stopped her from doing that now. I need to spend more time with her. I need to train her better. But you know, I don't know where that came from. I'm just using my glorified, sanctified imagination. But Eve told the devil, oh, not only can we not eat it, we can't even touch it. Look, when God says don't do something, don't add to it. Just don't do it. Don't do it. So there was denying God's word, disputing God's word, but then here's the sin, disobeying God's word. She saw that the tree was good for fruit. It was nice to look at, and it was desired to make you wise. Those are the three temptations the devil always uses. He tempted Adam and Eve with those three things. He tempted Jesus with those three things, and he'll tempt us with those three things. But he can be overcome. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And after sin, they realized they were naked. And they tried to cover themselves. They made aprons of figs and uh, fig leaves. That didn't do the trick. God knew they were naked. By the way, all these questions that God asked, where art thou? Hast thou eaten? God knew that. He wanted Adam to admit it. God knew it. God knew it when it happened. God knew when the devil was tempting Eve. You say, why didn't he come in and stop it? Because God gave them a commandment and then he gave them a choice to make. And all of us have a commandment and a choice. And every day we decide that we're going to obey the commandment and make the right choice. I pray to God we do. But then here's the Savior. Here's Christmas in the garden. Here's the gospel in the garden. Because it says... After they sinned, they hid. God came looking for them. Isn't that tragic? God comes looking for man to fellowship with him, to walk with him. Can you imagine what it would have been like before sin? Can you just imagine in your mind what it would have been like to be Adam and Eve in a beautiful garden with no thorns on any of the bushes? Uh, You had blackberries there. You didn't have to worry about getting stuck by thorns. We used to call them stickers when I was a kid. You know, when you're southern, you just, that's a sticker. If you put your finger on it, it'll stick you. That's a, you know, I'm a Rhodes Scholar, you can tell by that. That's a sticker bush. But man, you could walk through the garden. You can get cockleburrs on you. You know what a cockleburr is? That's a porcupine egg. Some of you folks understand that later. Nothing like that. No brambles, no briars, just, man, fruit, blackberries, blueberries, cherries, By the way, don't think this was apple. This wasn't an apple. It was the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. It was just a fruit tree. And the the fruit gave you the knowledge of good and evil. By the way, that tree doesn't need to be here anymore. We all have it when we're born now. We're born with it because that's part of the curse. And so when God confronted man, he said, who told you that you were naked? And then it came out that the woman had taken the fruit, eaten it, and given it to Adam, and he ate it. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the devil. The devil just kind of stood there looking at God. Second time he'd been caught, he knew he was in trouble. So what happened? The serpent is cursed. Notice what he said to the serpent. Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. 
I, I believe the Bible's literal here. Uh, this was a snake, and a and the devil took the body of that snake and inhabited it, much as the demons inhabited those pigs that ran off the cliff in Jesus' day. And the talking snake was really the devil inside of a snake. And God said, because a snake did this, the devil used the snake to do this, the snake's not going to walk upright anymore. He's going to crawl on his belly in the dust all the days of his life. And I want to tell you, I'm, I'm an animal lover, but I hate a snake. You say, well, you ought to like snakes. No, I don't like snakes. Where's Brother Sam? Did he, did he stay for the church? All right. Well, Sam, you remember years ago, you and I made a visit down in Chandelar, and we went into this house. I have never seen so many snakes in my life. I mean, they had big old anacondas and little bitty snakes and medium snakes. I want to tell you, when we prayed as we left that house, I prayed with my eyes open. I did not leave. <laughs> Brother Sam, I don't think, ever sat down. I mean, he was, he, he was kind of like this the whole time. Let's go, Brother Mike. Let's go, Brother Mike. I have never seen that many snakes in my life. I, I hate a snake. The only good snake is a dead snake. Oh, amen. A lot of y'all like dead snakes. You say, you ever killed a snake? Last time I ran into a snake, I killed it. You say, how'd you kill it with my lawnmower? I was cutting grass. And a copperhead, they're mean, boy, they, they'll attack you. This copperhead came up, and I was cutting grass, it was thick, and I looked over there, and he came up at me with his mouth, and he opened his mouth and showed me his fangs, and I showed him the blade of the lawnmower. <laughs> I mean, I raised the lawnmower up, and I shoved it down on his head, and the lawnmower started to choke down. I picked it up, and he thought he was safe, and I let it down on him again. I made snake hash <laughs> out of that snake. That was a good snake. Somebody said, well, will you handle a snake if God told you to? Yeah, when he puts a handle on one. If you ever see a snake crawling along with a long handle on it, there's Brother Mike Snake. He's going to handle that one. I hate a snake. Well, God cursed the snake and said, you're going to crawl, and it still does to this day. Now, they tell me, people tell me that if you look at the skeleton of some snakes, it looks like they at one time were supposed to have legs. Now, that's amazing, isn't it? Bible said the snake's going to crawl. He walked in the garden, but he's going to crawl out. Uh, and to this day, all the snakes don't have the eggs anymore. But he cursed the serpent because the devil had inhabited the serpent. And then notice the earth is cursed. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. God made man, and God had already planned to redeem man. Calvary was already in the mind of God before sin ever happened. God knew that Calvary was going to occur when he created the world before the world was created. In the beginning of time, Calvary was already done in God's mind. And so he cursed not the man, but he cursed the earth for man. And that curse is still there. You go pick blackberries today, you're going to get thorns. You go and cut a rose. If you're not careful, you'll get a thorn. They made a crown of thorns and put it on the head of the virgin-born Son of God as he hung on the cross, dying for the sins of mankind. The earth is cursed. Well, what is man's curse? Sin and death is mankind's curse. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Some people say, well, hard work is the curse. No, 
man was working before the curse. Curse, work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. You say, how do you know that? Well, you get out of work, you want to go to work, it's a blessing to have a job. Don't take your job for granted. By the way, I always tell people, if you're unhappy in your job, don't quit till you get another one. Because it's easier to get a job when you've got a job than to get a job when you don't have a job. I'm just being real practical there. But work is not the curse. Somebody say, oh, I have to work hard. That was my curse. No. The curse is that you're, you're going to sweat. You're going to eat bread while you sweat. But then it, all, the last part of that curse is you're going to die. Now, somebody will say, wait a minute, preacher. Adam and Eve didn't drop dead. No, they didn't. Not then. They did later. They dropped dead later. If they dropped dead then, we wouldn't be here, folks. <laughs> I can't, that'd been the end. You know, that'd been the end of that story. Adam and Eve sinned. It died, that's it, no earth. They died immediately in their soul and spirit. They could no longer fellowship with God because they were now sinners and God had always been a holy God and they could not fellowship with him. They died immediately in their soul and spirit. They died progressively in their body. And to this day we die. I mean, you know, I see these guys... They're out there running. And I think some of them just run for pride. I mean, they got a body they think is a Greek god. And they like to take their shirt off when they run. Then every now and then I see a fellow who doesn't look a whole, doesn't look a whole lot different from me out there running with his shirt off. And I want to say, get a shirt, man. Get a shirt. Nobody wants to see that. But you know how all these people say, and I'm in great shape. I'm in tremendous shape. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be 90 when I die, and I'm still going to run 40 miles a day. Next day, they drop dead, or I run over them, one of the two. I don't know. <laughs> That's terrible. But I want to tell you this. You can take, I mean, you, you can be so careful, and you're going to die. Mary and I decided we needed a cardiologist. I had Dr. Thomas Paul down in Alabama. He's a great cardiologist. The last time he did an arteriogram on me, he found an aneurysm on the back side of my heart. He called me into his office and he said, you know, I wasn't worried about this thing when I saw it 10 years ago, but he said, I just realized, he said, I thought it might have been a shadow 10 years ago. He said, that's an aneurysm. And I said, well, can you fix it? He said, no. He said, uh, I said, you mean y'all can't fix it here at Shelby? He said, no, we can do open heart surgery. You've got to go to UAB. And so I said, okay, we'll find a doctor at UAV. So we found a doctor at UAV. He was a sweet man, Dr. Misra. He was a world-renowned cardiologist. And Mary and I went to see him, and we, we both knew he was very thorough. When he looked at that aneurysm on the backside of my heart, I said, you ever seen one of those before, Doc? He said, yes, yours is number 13. I thought, great. I'm number 13. You say, did you worry about that? Not a bit. If he told me I was number 13,000, it wouldn't have bothered me. 13's not a bad number. 13's a number, like any other number. No, no reason to be superstitious. I live at 113 Cedar Cove Lane. If I was superstitious, I'd have sold my house. Not superstitious. He said, yeah, yours is number 13. Well, I felt some relief. I thought, well, he's seen 12 of these. And he said, he said, oh, he said, it's fine. He said, uh, he said, I could put a stent around it, but he said, I'd have to make the stent. And he said, I'd have to fill out a telephone book full of forms. He said, but just take this medicine and, and take care of yourself. Just, you know, just make sure your blood's flowing good all the time. I try to make sure that happens real well. 
I take the medicine he told me to take. I take an aspirin. I mean, I'm doing what he, I, you know, I didn't, I lost weight for a while, and then I got off my diet. I'm going to get back on it real soon. But uh, <laughs> he told me, he said, yeah, you, you need to keep that blood flowing. Said, said, uh, he said, if we tried to fix it, you'd be in a lot worse shape than you are now. I said, well, I don't want that. And then one day I pick up the newspaper and I read Dr. Misra, world-renowned cardiologist, dies. You know how he died? And this is tragic. He was on a treadmill at the YMCA in Homewood, running on the treadmill. The reason he became a cardiologist, his father died at 50 with heart problems. Dr. Misra was 50 years old. Why did Dr. Misra die? Because of sin. Why do we have sorrow? Because of sin. Why is there suffering in the world? Because of sin. And let me say this. Sin is always going to be on this earth until Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, comes and sets up his throne in Jerusalem and reigns on the throne of his father David for a thousand years. And there'll be no sin on this earth during that time because he will reign. And I want to tell you this, when he reigns in your heart and my heart, we don't have to live in sin. We may sin, but we don't have to live that way. You don't have to do what the devil tells you. You don't have to fall to temptation when it comes knocking on your door. Sin and death is mankind's curse. But I love this. Christ is the promise to remove the curse. Hallelujah. Christ is the, and here he is right here. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. The only time her seed is used, it had to be of only one birth, the birth of the Lord Jesus. And it shall bruise thy head. It really should read, he shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel because it says his heel right there. What does this mean? Well, Jesus told us about it in Luke 22. He said, when I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. When Jesus was on Calvary from noon to three o'clock, the world was dark at midday because the promised virgin-born Son of God was hanging on the cross to pay for the sins of every man and woman since Adam and Eve till the end of time. And when he said it is finished, his work was done. And the devil applauded and said, man, I've been wanting to kill him. He thought he was going to crush my head. Well, I got him. He's dead. And they took him down off the cross. They took the lifeless body of the Son of God off the cross. And they lovingly wrapped it in grave clothes. And they tenderly placed it in a brand new tomb where a body had never lain before. And they, they rolled a stone in front of it to make sure the disciples wouldn't seal, steal the body. And they put a seal and a Roman guard on it. And from Friday night... Until Sunday morning, the devil had a party. And he said, man, I've got him. I got him. He thought he was going to crush my head. Well, he's dead and he's gone and I'll never see him again. And then on Sunday morning, early in the morning, all the little demons began to weep. And Satan, who's not all powerful, said, what are you weeping for? We've won. And they said, oh, no, oh, no. What do you mean, oh, no? He's in the tomb. And they said, no, he's not. And not only is he not in the tomb, he's alive again. And he says, 
He has the keys to death, hell, and the grave in his hand. And he told us to tell you, nobody can take those keys out of his hand. And I want to tell you today, you don't have to be a defeated person. You don't have to be a defeated Christian. You don't have to be a defeated soul winner. You don't have to be a defeated missionary. You don't have to live in defeat in your family. You don't have to live in defeat in your spiritual life because Jesus, the ever-living one who was promised in the garden, came and set us free on the cross. And by his resurrection, we have power to overcome the evil one and all of his temptation. Praise his name. That's the Christmas in Eden. That's the Gospel in the garden. Now here's the most important point. What's in your heart today? You know they ask that question on TV, what's in your wallet? Have you seen that commercial? Sometimes the commercials are better than the shows that that you're on. But what's in your heart today? If, uh, If I were to do a spiritual examination of your heart, would I find Jesus... Not just in your heart, because they're probably, I would say most everybody here this morning has Jesus in their heart. But let me get real, real, real personal. Is he not just in your heart, but is he reigning in your heart? What's the most important thing to you? Is it football? I hope not. I hope not. I like football. I used to love football. But you know what? Football can become an idol. I used to love deer hunting. I like deer hunting. I don't go home and weep. I didn't say deer killing. I said deer hunting. Hunting is the word there. Now, we do have killers in this church. I'm not going to call her name, but some lady in this church killed three deer in one day. I can't even see one deer in three days. I like deer hunting. I like gospel music. But I want to tell you this. I worship and adore Jesus Christ. I owe him a debt I can never pay. That song says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I hope you aren't just a Jesus fan. We have too many Christians who are fans of Jesus, but not committed followers. Jesus didn't die so we could be a fan and say, yay, Jesus. Jesus died so that we could be fully committed followers, totally surrendered to him who want nothing more and to see him receive all the honor and all the glory and all the praise, for only he is worthy. What's in your heart today? If I could just peel it back and look, is Jesus sitting on the throne of your life reigning today? If he is, I can tell you what happens. When Jesus is on the throne, everything else is right. Jesus is off the throne, everything else is wrong. It doesn't matter. He say, well, he's in there, I'm going to heaven, listen. It's not just going to heaven. It is becoming a disciple, a committed, submitted disciple to Jesus Christ. Where are you? Where are you in your discipleship? That's the gospel in the garden.
That's Christmas in Eve.